And if you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we will be picking back up where we left off last week, and that will be in verse 11. And what I'll do is I'm going to actually read verse 11 through 22, and that will give you a chance to get settled in, and then we will go verse by verse, and we'll step right straight through each one of those. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Incredible verses here that the Lord has for us. Incredible. If you remember, as we continue in the book of Ephesians, we're dealing with uh, an area of uh, a place of of Ephesus where it was wealthy, it was the big commerce place, there's all the pomp and circumstance, all the culture that you want, all the money that you want, You had everything and anything. This was the place to live in the city lifestyle. But comes that, there was a worship of a Diana, the temple of Diana, and it was many uh, gods at that time that they worshipped, probably 25 at least of false gods historically we see in that city alone that were worshipped. And here Paul, as he's done a, a work in this area, he's now coming back and encouraging them to, to keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. Because the things of the world, as you remember, if you go back in the beginning of chapter 2 there, he, Paul was talking about that he, you were, he made alive. He, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And he's made you alive. Why would you go back to that dead life? And then he continued to say, and, and he pointed out how, how he walked according to the world. The world dictated how you were going to live, how you were going to dress, how you were going to talk, how every aspect of your life, the world had a tremendous influence of that. 
And even the Prince of Peace, the demonic forces were working in and through and trying to bring them down. And the flesh seemed to always, the flesh themselves, the lust of the flesh in there in verse 3, seemed to constantly, their desires of the flesh, the, the desires in their mind that were created, they're just, were just completely children of wrath against God. And so Paul was encouraging them, that's not who you are. Why do you live like that? Don't go back to that life. That is not who you are. Come, follow me. I have made a way for you to live that is free from all that bondage. And that's why we saw in verse 4, but God. And I hope in your Bibles you've circled but God. Because if out of his love, he showed his mercy and his grace toward them. He shows his mercy and grace toward you. Because he loves you so much, he wants to free you from that bondage. And he not only just frees you, but he raises you up as we saw. And these key verses, verses 8 through 10, and I'll read them once again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By putting your trust in who Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, you can be saved. It's not of yourself. Paul made a key point to remind them, you can't save yourselves. You cannot be religious enough. You can't be goody-two-shoes enough. You can't hang with the most religious people and the most godly people on this earth and think that's going to save you. It will not. Your grandmother cannot save you. As godly as she is and as much as she's been praying for you, she cannot save you. Only putting your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the way and the only way that can be save a person. Because you cannot of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And truly, everyone would boast. How quickly we would boast if we had a way and figured out a way and we would prove it to the world. Oh, buy my book because I have a better way. And we see that constantly today. In verse 10, for he, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What amazing start of this book in chapter 2 as we see. So we've seen in chapter 2 alone the reach of God's grace. He can reach anyone's life. There is no, there's no restriction of God to be able to reach down and touch anyone's life. And we saw that in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. And then we saw the rewards of God's grace, verses 4 through 10, his workmanship. Now, as we close out chapter 2, we see the results of God's grace, verses 11 through 22, which is God's family dwelling, the church. It's God's family dwelling that we will see here. And so we see in the very first 10 verses of chapter 2, Paul has discussed the salvation of sinners in a very general way. And now he turns to the work of Christ and the Gentiles particularly because that is who he's uh, writing to is the Gentiles who were saved in Ephesus and he's going to write to them and it applies to you and I. We were Gentiles living in the world, living by our flesh, allowing the demonic forces to influence us and then God knocked on the door of your heart, you opened the door and you let him in and you got saved by putting your trust in him in. And now we are Gentiles saved by grace. 
We're a child of God in his family, and he dwells within you. Within the body of Christ, as we sit here today, the Holy Spirit dwells. And it is Christ's peace mission. His mission is to bring peace because he is the peace. And anyone in this world, and even as a believer, if you're not experiencing peace, just recognize that he is your peace. Turn to him today. Come back to him today if you've walked away and you're not experiencing his peace. Come back to him. And Paul explains in this next section here in these verses that we'll talk today, three important words will come about as we come through these verses. Separation, reconciliation, and unification. Is that not speaking to life? There seems to be always separation between people. To be able to come from separation and change that, there has to be reconciliation. And when you have reconciliation, then you can have unification. I don't care if you're talking about a marriage. I don't care if you're talking about a parent and child relationship. I don't care if it's talking about a relationship between a boss and an employee. Whatever that best friend, there is a separation. That means there's something that's in, there's sin in the camp that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be brought to light. It needs to be reconciled to be able to have unification once again. And it must be dealt with. And you'll see Paul bringing this about. That's why in verse 11 he says, therefore. Therefore what? God has saved you by his grace. It's, you can't earn it. You can't work it. You can't figure it out. You can't manipulate it. And you controllers have no control. And you just have to get over that. And once you get over that as a controller, you get over the fact that you're not in control, boy, you're going to breathe finally and have experienced the peace of God that will come in, into you. But he says there, therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh, but who are called uncircumcision by what is, what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. See, for centuries, the circumcision, the Jews, had looked down at the uncircumcision the Gentiles, they were completely separated. They're completely at odds to one another. If you know the history, you've read the scriptures, you know the Jews always looked down their noses to the Gentiles, called them dogs. Their prayer life always included something like, oh God, I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile. They looked down at the people. The prejudice that was between these two Groups of people were unbelievable because it was sin in the camp. The sin of pride, the sin of prejudice that filled this community, this area. And here Paul is coming and trying to fight against this. And we're going to see how God has brought the Jews and the Gentiles into one body. And prejudice hinders that ability to come into oneness. But this physical difference between the Jews and the Gentiles had affected every area of their lives, if you study the scriptures. Every area of their lives. A great social and spiritual boundary existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the fact that the Jews had this physical distinction, this physical mark of the covenant, was no proof that they were more spiritual. 
They were not more spiritual men of faith. We see that when you go back and read Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29, and when we study Galatians chapter 5. But those who have trusted Christ have received the spiritual circumcision that is made without hands. Our hearts had, the flesh had been cut away from the hearts and have allowed to God to come and dwell within us. And that is the mark of a, a saved person, is the flesh has been cut away. But since the hour that God called Abram, or Abraham, God made a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was by God's design. If you remember that he made this difference, not that the Jews might boast in the fact that they were circumcised and the Gentiles were not, but that they might be a blessing and a help to the Gentiles as a light and a witness to these people. God set them apart that he might use them to channel his revelation and channel his goodness to this heathen nation that was out there. But sad to say, Israel kept the differences, uh, differences between them nationally and ritually. They kept it very clear and distinct between the Jews and the Gentiles. But morally, Israel was just as corrupt. They allowed that lost nations to come into the, their camp, into their nation, into the, this covenant that God had set them apart. And for this reason, God had to discipline the Jews. And because they would not maintain their se spiritual separation and minister to the nations around them in the name of the true God and one and true God, they ended up suffering the consequences. But that is you and I as well today. Without man's hands, you have been circumcised. You have been separated. You've been set apart and distinct for God's purpose to be a light into this fallen nations around us. We don't act like the world. We don't follow the world. We don't respond to our flesh like we used to. Or like the world does. So we have to be a distinct church. Has to be distinct from the fallen world. Or what is the difference? It's crazy to me to see what's going on within the church body today. And to see that they think the way to reach the nations of the fallen nations. Is to allow the church to look and to smell and to act and to do everything that like the world. That's insanity to me. That is just demonic forces working within those churches. The world is influencing them. The flesh is influencing them. The, the demonic forces are influencing them. And those churches, only a matter of time, will become dead. My brothers and sisters, you and I cannot allow that to happen here at Calvary Chapel. We must allow the Spirit of God to reign in this place and reign within us. We must stay distinct. And we do that by putting our complete trust with all of our heart and mind, soul, and strength and be obedient to the word of God. That's why we study the word of God. So that you know the word of God and you go out by the power of the Holy Spirit to imply that on a daily basis within your families, within your neighborhoods, within your work, wherever God takes you, God has a purpose and a plan for you. We must be set apart. In verse 12, he says that at that time you were without Christ. We were going to see here in this verse alone five privileges 
that God has set for his people, but they lost those privileges. The Gentiles didn't have those privileges. Look at this. He says they were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, the Gentiles lacked the external signs of circumcision. Which also meant that they lacked the five privileges that God had given the nation of Israel. The very first one you see here, Paul notes here, is that they were separated or without Christ. These Gentiles had no purpose. They did not have God as priority. That's the first privilege as a chosen people separated from the world. These Gentiles had no purpose in life. They were wandering aimlessly in this world. God was not a priority. They, you didn't even talk about God. That's how I lived most of my life until I got saved. I never in my entire life ever heard or anyone talk about the things of God in my family. I only saw glimpses of it, but mostly religion around with my friends at school. But I did, that didn't even make sense to me. But it wasn't until I got around some solid believers as I was in a young adult that then I, that, and then I started pushing back because that was really weird kind of ask, aspect. Why are you talking about God? Why, what is that? Let's talk about money. Let's talk about bigging, making big businesses and making money and getting a bigger house. That's the California lifestyle. Why aren't we not talking about that? And then someone God brought in my life to just kind of feed back in my argument. Because, Corey, that's not what life is about. It's about pleasing God. And, and that was just foreign, foreign to me. And they finally convinced me and strong-armed me to come to church. Calvary Chapel, Auburn. <laughs> I wouldn't even go in the sanctuary. I knew for certain something was not going to happen. It was not going to be good if I go in there. Kathleen says, I'm going in there. And I convinced one of my daughters to convince and tell, convince mom, dad doesn't want to, you know, I have to stay here with dad. We, you know, we can't go in there. And then all of a sudden, there's that big old screen. And then I heard this young guy teaching the word of God. And I heard the word of God for the very first time. has never been the same just by hearing the word of God taught simply and God met me and I responded I responded and from there it changed my, my marriage and changed my family and my girls were raised in knowing God it changed but I was without Christ I had no purpose except chasing the money trying to get the next position, living life. The second thing we see here is that the, these Gentiles were aliens or foreigners in a foreign land. They were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They had no privileges. They were aliens. They were foreigners in a foreign land of the nation of Israel. They didn't have the privileges of being in that part of that nation. They did not belong to this theocratic state of Israel. Even though some Gentiles were admitted into the Judaism as a proselyte, 
Gentiles as a whole were excluded and they were alienated and pushed away. We see in the scriptures, even the, 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 the Jews wouldn't even walk into the area or the land of, the, of Gentiles because they were afraid to get that Gentile soil on their feet and they would brush it off as they entered into Jesus. You know the scriptures, you, you, Jesus talking about, oh, you choke over a gnat, but then you swallow a camel. What, what was that gnat about? Well, that gnat, they were afraid that that gnat may have bit or had some blood from a Gentile somewhere, and they flew in his mouth, and they would spit it out because they were afraid to get to anything of a Gentile in there. Such hypocrisy in a religious setting. Third, we see is the privilege of that they were strangers from the covenants of the promise. They had no promise as a Gentile. They were deprived of direct participation in God's covenants that the nation of Israel had given to them. They were, they, they were excluded from those covenants of the Abrahamic covenant we see in Genesis 12, the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy ch chapters 28 through 30, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, and the new covenant we see there in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. These covenants all pointed to the promise of the coming Messiah. They were all coming and pointing to the blessings of putting their trust in the one and true God. The, Israel, the nation of Israel had all these promises given to them throughout their century, throughout their whole culture. They're all through the family trees. They had this hope and this promise. But the Gentiles did not. They lived day by day wondering what the purpose in life is. They didn't have the assured Israel of the national existence. That's one of the covenants national existence. They had the promise of the land. Anyone who argues over here today and says, oh, this Palestinian and, and the Jew argument over the Holy Land, just go back to Deuteronomy. Just read chapters 28, 29, and 30. What is, are you, it's a promise, a covenant by God that is given to his people. I've, I've met some really influential politicians and and, and military leaders, and I have always bring them back and ask them, have you ever read the word of God? Because God says that's his people's land, and why would you go against God? This is not a question. It's a fact. But people do not choose to read the word of God and the truth. And it, it would just help so much today. The fourth thing we see here, that the Gentiles were without hope. They had no hope. They had no prayer. Who do they turn to if they don't have a God? They had money gods. And none of those gods were saving them. All those gods were taking advantage of them and bringing them down to the lowest of lowest. Oh, it's just so many people. Oh, you can follow any religion. All of them lead to, to, to God. That is not true. This Bible is very clear, and so many people, once you say the Bible says this, what do they do? I don't believe the Bible. Why? Because if they choose to ignore the truths of God, then they can justify their emotions and their feelings and their irrational thinking. They lean on their own understanding to justify the, how they want to live. That doesn't change the truth, my brothers and sisters. 
God is not going to change just because you want to refuse the, the truth that the Bible is after. It doesn't change a thing. You can try to rationalize and listen to all the worldly thinking to talk, uh, talk away the Bible, but that doesn't change the fact that the Bible is inherent and true and inspired by God and is living and breathing and it's going to affect you regardless if you like it or not. But these Gentiles had, were without hope. They had no prayer because who were they going to turn to that was going to save them? And the fifth thing we see here in this verse is that they were without God. They were apart from God. They were in the world. They were apart from God. That means they had no protection. No protection. That's what you and I were like before we came to God. We had no purpose. God was not a priority in your life. You had no privileges. You had no promise of a future. You had no hope. And you had no protection from the things of this world and demonic forces. None. But when you became a child of God, and this is what Paul is telling these Gentiles, that's what you were. But that's not what you are today. All of these promises are for you today, you Gentiles here in Ephesus. These are your promises. These are the privilege. Hold on to them as you walk through this day-to-day -day life. As a child of God, these are yours, and you can hold on to them regardless of how you feel that day. Because it doesn't change the position that you find yourself as a child of God. It doesn't change your position today. And then we see, he comes, Paul here in verses 13 through 15, he brings about, the, talks about the, the separation that where they found themselves, the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles here. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off. You were always at a arm's length. You were always pushed away. You were always put in a corner somewhere. You were always put down. You were always forgotten. But no, now in G Christ Jesus, you are not far off anymore. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ because God, Jesus Christ, shed his blood on the cross and paid the penalties of your sin. You are now able to be brought near to God. Do you understand that you shouldn't continue to live like you're a, a, a heathen or a Gentile? You once lived in the flesh. You're no longer that way. You must, you must live differently. Not only that, but he himself is our peace. Apart from Jesus Christ and that relationship, you learn I'm not talking about a religion here. But apart from himself, the only way you can have peace within you is to have that relationship with Jesus. If you don't, you will not have peace. You must be born again to have the peace of God because he is the peace. You don't have peace because you're Calvary Chapelite. But if you're born again and you come to Calvary Chapel, be the best born again Chap Calvary Chapel person. If you're a Baptist, be a born again Baptist. If you're a Methodist, be a born again Methodist. If you're a born, if you're a Baptist, be a born again Baptist. If you're a Catholic, be a born again 
lover of Jesus Christ as a Catholic. You must be born again. It's not because of the religion you were attaching into. It's about a relationship with Jesus, not a relationship with some church organization. Because a church is not an organization. God dwells within the church family. And you must remember that. It's simple, my brothers and sisters. But the world and everything else just bombards you with other truths. But that is not what the scriptures say. God dwells in his family we call the church today. He does. And he brings you peace. Who has made both one. There was a separation between the Gentiles and the Jews. But he broke down the middle wall of separation. Sin separates people from God. And only God, uh, Christ's atonement can remove that sin barrier. You have to remember, to, you cannot, or to be a member of the church. Some people always ask, oh, pastor, how can I be a member of the church? You can't. You can't be a member of the church here. Collect fees, <laughs> membership fee. I mean, you cannot be a member of a church. There's nowhere in the scriptures. The only way you become part of the church is if you're born again. That's the only way you can be part of the church. So when you say, I want to be a member of the Calvary Chapel, I, I always ask, are you uh, born again? Well, that means you're part of the church. And if this is where God has brought you to be part of the body to serve him, welcome to the family. It's pretty simple here at Calvary Chapel. We don't make it complicated. If you're not born again here today, then I pray that you're hearing the word of God right now speak to your heart and you will give your life to Jesus Christ. Put your trust there and become part of the family here at Calvary Chapel. Because it's based on a relationship with him. That's why you're a member here. <laughs> we call it family. Because this is not an organization, it's an organism. It's living and breathing, it's not an organization. And when you realize that, oh, such freedom when it comes to the serving God and fellowshipping with one another in love. You know, this lesson was a very difficult lesson for the church to learn early on, if you remember, if you study the book of Acts. For centuries, the Jews had been very different from the Gentiles and different in their religion, different in their dress, different in their diet, different in their laws. Everything was very distinct and different. And it was purposely designed by God to do that. And even under Peter, if you remember, in, uh, he was sent to the, to the Gentiles there on Acts chapter 10. The church had, uh, had no problems. Go out. Go out, Peter. Go. But with the salvation of the Gentiles on the same terms as the Jews, problems began to develop within the, the Jerusalem believers, if you remember. So badly that they had to go back and have a special um, you know, uh, council, if you remember. The, the Jewish Christians uh, you know, reprimanded Peter for going to the Gentiles and eating with them, if you remember. They caught they sent some people, some spies, to watch Peter, and he was sitting there having 
uh, a meal with the Gentiles believers there in Acts chapter 11. They flipped out. <laughs> You're not supposed to eat with them. You know, you go tell them about Jesus, but you can't eat with them. That doesn't make sense. But the representatives of the church gathered in this important conference, if you remember, in Acts chapter 15, about the Gentiles and how they're saved. And in, out of that council, if you remember, the, a Gentile became a, you know, it wasn't to become a Jew to become a Christian. That's what they were trying to do. Well, make sure they get circumcised and make sure they do follow the diets and follow the rituals and some of the religious things that we do. And if they do that, then we can then become a Christian like us. That doesn't how it works. But out of that, con that conference, that conclusion was the fact that, no, that is not what the Gentiles are to do. Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we see here in the verses here in verse 15, by putting their trust, just like the Gentiles and Jews putting their trust in Jesus Christ, God has abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself a new man from the two, thus making peace. He says, put your trust in Jesus. And this enmity, this conflict, this, 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 this strife, this, 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 this hostility between you, the Gentiles and Jews, will go away because your eyes are on Jesus. Do you want to solve the problems that we are dealing with within your the, the relationships that you have? Then take a look at what sin is going on within Get rid of that. Come to Jesus Christ and God will, will push those things out. And then you will find there's going to be from no longer separation and we'll be moving into reconciliation. <clears throat> the enmity that is happening, the hostility between people today is because they do not keep their eyes on Jesus. That is our problem in Chicago. That's our problem in our streets today. That is the problems that we see all across our nation in this world, the enmity between God's people and between ungodly people. And even between two sets of ungodly people, the prejudice and all these other things like the Gentiles and the Jews, they were not living according to God. And when that happens, enmity, conflict, hostility will rise up between two parties solution is, is you and I have the solution, do we not? We call it the good news. The good news is that Jesus did the payment for all of that. You can be set free from that. Just come to Jesus. Think about the times, and many times we come to the pastor's conference, we have uh, saved Jews, and we have saved Arabs, and they're in the same together, and even with that, they both love Jesus. They're seeking after Jesus. They know they're saved based on their faith with, of Jesus Christ. But there's still such a thousands of years of, of just things that need to be purged out of someone's mindset because none of that matters any longer. All that matters is Jesus. Not the land. Not your family tree. Not what your past, the past has happened, but what is happening today and what is moving forward into the future. That's what matters. 
And when we move forward from the past and get away from the past and focus on Jesus and to look toward what he has for us in the forward, in the future, all these other things that cause enmity, this hostility and, and division among the people will dissipate. And you and I have the good news, and we are to go out and share that good news so that people can have the peace of God that will come and will solve this enmity that they're dealing with, with another person. See, because Paul says here, this, this, the cause of the enmity was the law. And because the law made a defiant distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, those dietary laws reminded the Jews constantly that God had put a difference between the clean and the unclean. We see that in Leviticus chapter 11. But the divine ordinances that God had given to Israel stood as a wall between the Jews and the other nations. In fact, even in the Jewish temple, if you know and remember the Jewish temple, there were layers within the temple to get to the Holy of Holies. There was the court of the Gentiles on the outside, and then there was a, a wall that separated. Then they moved in for the women, and they moved into the courts, and then they moved into the priests, and then they moved into the Holy of Holies. So there was different layers. Paul is saying that wall that has separated from you to be able to dwell and worship God with the Jews is gone. That wall of separation there on the temple to worship God is gone. The veil of the, of the Holy Holy is ripped from the top to the bottom. You and I can go freely into the presence of God. And Paul is reminding them the wall no longer stops you from worshiping with your fellow brothers of the Jewish, Jewish nation. And we have seen through the years, archaeologists have discovered, discovered the inscription from Herod's temple. There were 13 uh, placards that were placed around the outside of that wall. So when the Gentiles or anyone came up, they saw the placard. So the placard would remind them, you are restricted from going beyond this point. Two of them were found, and there was a, a, a subscription or a writing on one of those place cards. It kind of sounded like this. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary in the enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Because that was the penalty. That's if you walked past that wall as a Gentile, you were going to surely die. Now, if you remember this, Paul is sitting in the Roman prison. He is writing and talking about this wall of separation that was removed. And think about this. He was in, he was in the prison because he went there with his Jewish believing friends. I mean, Gentile believing friends. They went to the temple, if you remember. And then people started falsely accusing him, saying, you allowed them to go past the wall of uh, partition. And because of that, they were, him and his friends were thrown into jail. If you go back to Acts 21, verses 28 through 31, they were going to kill him because they accused him from bringing them past that wall of separation. And here he is writing this letter to them, saying, that wall is no longer a valley. I may be in prison because of it, but that is because those false religi religious people continue to hold on to falseness. Not only did God come in and, and bring 
a this separation between uh, Jews and Gentiles. But here in verses 16 through 18, we see there's an enmity between God and man. He says right here that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. Catch the word one. We see that right from the very beginning back even to in verses uh, uh, 14 where he made both one. And you'll see here in verse 16 that he, God is going to bring both into one body through the cross, right? Through the cross. Underline that in your Bibles. How do we come together as Gentiles and Jews? How do we come together by God? It's only through the cross. There is no other way than the, the cross. But through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, putting to death the hostility between, uh, the pe between people. And then he says, he came and he preached peace. Jesus came and he preached peace. He came to tell who he was and what he's come to do for them. To you who are far off and to those who are near, speaking to those Jews in uh, the Jewish nation. God came to preach peace to both. Accept me. Allow me in your life and you'll have peace and we'll have peace between you and God and you and between you and the Gentiles. In verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but except by me. One spirit to the Father. And to anyone out there who thinks and say that you can come up with your own way to come to, and, and be pleasing to the Father and to be, be accepted, to go into heaven and to be with your heavenly Father, and, you can, and all religions lead there, and God accepts everybody, that is just a lie from the pit of hell. It's only by Jesus Christ and the cross that you can go and to be with the heavenly Father. There is no other way. But God says, I've made a way. I've made a way for you. I can take you where you've been separated and I can reconcile you with God. That wall had to be destroyed. And Jesus did it on the cross. The cost of destroying the enmity, the hostility, was by the blood of Christ. And when he dies, as we talked about over and over, the fact that the wall of separation, figuratively, it was torn down. The veil was literally torn in half from top to bottom. And by fulfilling the demands of the law in his righteous life, and by bearing the curse of the law in his sacrificial death that when we studied, if you remember, in Galatians chapter 3, Jesus removed the legal barrier that separated the Jew from the Gentile for centuries. And they can become one body. Today, there is no distinction between the Jew and the, and the Greek. But the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10 Verses 12, through 12 and 13. Enmity. Hostility. Division. That must be dealt with. And 
Jesus is alive. And he said that Jesus brought the Jew and the Gentile to become one because he is our peace. And through Christ, the far-off Gentile is now made close. And both the Jew and the Gentile are made one. God has abolished. God has abolished or nullified. The law no longer holds sway over either the Jew or the Gentile since Christ and believers are not under the law but under grace. Freedom. And that's what he's doing here, the reconciliation to bring together again. And by coming to Christ, you can have that reconciliation between a husband and wife. Coming to Christ can have reconciliation between the mother and that daughter. Coming to Christ, you can have that bringing of, of separation into reconciliation as they're that lost sinner reconciled with God. Sin has to be dealt with, and Christ did, so you must come to Christ. You can't deal with it. If you look and remember, that whole sin is the great separator within the world. And it started right from the very beginning of time, if you remember. It was dividing people ever since the very beginning of human history. If you look at Adam and Eve, sin separated them from God. Shortly right after that, they get out of the Garden of Eden. What happens? Sin separates the, 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 the siblings, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Again, sin separating even siblings. The earth was filled with violence, we know in Genesis chapter 6. And then the only remedy seemed to be judgment. And God said, I'm going to judge the world. And he brought a flood and wiped out everyone except those that he selected for righteous that were righteous at the time. No one is, and, his, and his wife and his three sons and wives. That was it. And even after the judgment of God and with the flood, there still, there comes sin creeping back in and the result became another judgment if you remember. The population grew and they came together and said we can reach God, we can do it our way we'll build the a tower of Babel and we're going to do this and so God had to come down he had to bring judgment he had to change their language confuse them and then he caused them to separation throughout the entire world God had to take it because they were trying to again sin coming in doing it their way the pride but that's when God called Abraham and through the nation of Israel Jesus Christ came to the world and it was his work on the cross that abolished the enmity between the Jew and the Gentiles, between the sinners and God. God has a, has a plan. And he's been working his plan. And he'll continue to work his plan. And he will have his plan fulfilled. There is no question in your mind. Verse 19, now unification. We had separation. Jesus is the way to bring reconciliation. And now God talks about unification. And he says, now therefore, Paul says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Don't see yourself as separated from them. Having been built on the foundation, we're going to see a foundation, a formation, and a function laid out right in front of us here in these, first three, these verses, 20, 21, 22. Look right here. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I have built something new. And I'm building this myself. And I'm doing it through my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to be the cornerstone that is laid. If you remember, to lay the temple, to, it had to be a cornerstone. that had to be placed a certain way. Everything is measured and distanced and balanced and everything from that cornerstone. If you did not have a cornerstone, you will not be able to build anything that would be worth to stand for any long length period of time. And he says here, Paul says, he is reminding him that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone that has been laid down on the foundation. Yes, you can go back and listen to the prophet, the apostles, the, those who God had selected to send out to share the word of God. It, yes, you can go back to the prophets, the New Testament prophets, and see how God used them to share the truths of God. But Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and must be the cornerstone of the foundation of your life of the church, if not, it will not survive. Any church that sits there and stops talking about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, it's only a matter of time that foundation is going to erode and it's going to come crumbling down that church. You must and we must here at Calvary Chapel keep Jesus Christ as a central focus for us because he is the cornerstone of this church and is the cornerstone of your life and us as Believers must stay focused on that and desire to know that in that relationship to know him more and more on a deeper level every day. The foundation. We see that God created one nation here in verse 19. Israel was a chosen nation, but they rejected the Redeemer. And they suffered those consequences. But God had a plan that was going to bring them back. A new nation, a new, the church, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a particular people we see in 1 Peter 2.9 and Exodus 19.6. And people say, how do you bring the Old Testament with the New Testament? How did God separate all these people? And how are you show he's bringing unification back? Let me take the time, and we, I know we're going to go over it today, but I'm, I want you to hear this. Just think through the Old Testament. The nations were reckoned by and separated. Remember, Sham, Ham, and Jephthah split up, and they were, God was moving them out because of sin. We see that in Genesis chapter 10. But in the book of Acts, we see these three families united in Christ once again. You see the work of God in this. Acts chapter 8, the descendant of Ham is saved by and through this Ethiopian treasure. That's touching that Ham's family. He was the start of that believing, uh, that tribe. And he, God was working to bring them back into the fold there. You continue in Acts chapter, uh, the descendant of Sham, the Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle in Acts chapter 10. Was, he was from that tribe and God was saving someone and using him as an example of bringing that, that uh, fallen tribe back into the fold. And then we see the descendants of Jephthah 
that the Gentiles in the household of the Roman soldier Cornelius and sin had divided in mankind, but Jesus is now uniting by his spirit once again. God is going to bring people back together. He has a plan. As we study the word of God, we see how God is in control of the lives of, of fallen lives and how he can restore and bring back. It is a beautiful thing. So not only one nation that God is bringing back, the, the church, but also the one family. God is bringing us in one family. There's no separate family. You know how I emphasize in this church that there are not subsets of people within the church. We're one family. It doesn't matter what anything you can look at outwardly and say, oh, this group hangs over here in this part of the church and this part of the church because this part group hangs over there. Those are, those are fractions. We should never have fractions within the one body, the one family. You don't sit there and go as a family and say, mom and dad only eats over here on this part of the table. The kids go eat in their bedrooms and the other ones go eat over here and have these separations, all living under the same roof, but having three separate different lives. That should never happen in the family of God. Children should not be separate. Yes, we teach them at their appropriate age, but they're part of the family. We don't treat them like they're someone somewhere else. We have, when, when you turn 12, 13, we see you as a young man and young woman. You're brought in with the men and women of this church. That's why we have our youth here. Yes, they'll have their special moments and special things they can go do, but we're one family. We're not going to separate based on your back. Oh, the ones who are white collars, they sit over here, and the blue collar workers sit over here in the church. That should never happen. Yes, we all have different needs and different issues and problems, but the body God brings together to help one another. The white collars don't just help the white collars and the blue collars help the blue collars. That is insanity. That's a worldly thinking. We should not be thinking that way ever. That's why we emphasize we're the oneness of Christ here in this family. We're one family. Amen? I went down to the south. It's grieving to see the fall. To see two churches right across the road from one another. And one is distinctly for blacks and one distinctly for whites is absolutely, and this is the Bible book, they don't know their Bible. It is grieving, my brothers and sisters. That should never happen in the body of Christ. It grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to live, be living and moving mightily in our lives and in this place. Amen? Not only do we see the foundation, but we see the formation. We see the formation here in these verses as, as God is building through the, the truths of God, the foundation of who Jesus Christ is, the cornerstone. But he's, verse 21, he's fitting together and he's fitting us all together. He's taking these, these sinful slabs of, of rock, of stones, and he's bringing them in, and he has a very specific purpose to put them to build the, 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 the temple of God, the church. He's taking you, that sinful slab of cold rock, and he says, I have a purpose and a plan, and I know exactly where I'm going to place it on the wall. 
That's what he had with Fletcher Wright. You've been uniquely designed for his purpose in his church. Will you trust that? And notice the verses there. Not only is he putting and fitting together there in verse 21, but it grows into a holy temple. Where do you find a temple that grows? <laughs> you know? It's living and breathing. It grows. God is taking and there's his life in the church. And it will grow and it will mature. That is what God is trying to do in your life. Is as you grow and mature in your faith, it grows and mature. And we see the holy temple of the Lord as the formation takes place. And then finally we see in verse 22, it's a, there's a function. There's a purpose. And as we bring his, the church, the, the believers together in one body for one purpose, fitting together, they're growing they're going to dwelling place of God. They become a dwelling place of God. The Spirit of God reigns within his church body. It starts in your life. And as we gather together, it's within the body of Christ as we spend time together. He says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. The Holy Spirit builds this temple by taking dead stones out of the pit of sin. We see that in Psalm 40, verse 2. Giving them life, setting them lovingly into the temple of God, 1 Peter 2, 5. And then we see how he fits them together into the body of Christ for a purpose of, that's pleasing to him. Look at this chapter. Just meditate on this chapter today. You cannot help but praise God what he's done. And what he is doing in and through you by his grace. The results of God's grace in your life and in your church life. And it's through Christ. He has raised us up from the dead and seated us on his throne. We saw that he has reconciled us and sits us into his temple. Neither spiritual death nor spiritual distance can defeat the grace of God and his work in his people's lives. And at the end of chapter 2, we see he had not only saved us individually, but he has also made us be part of his church family collectively. What a tremendous privilege it is to be part of God's eternal plan. Amen.